Welcome to the Garden Church Podcast. The following message was previously recorded at the Garden Church in downtown Long Beach, California. Cool. So last time we were here, me and Carrie had just gotten back in the country from Northern Ireland, and that was wet and cold, and uh, now we're in San Diego, and uh, we're loving it. We're planting a church there, and uh, this morning we drove as fast as we could through Orange County, so we didn't get, catch any of that, um, whatever it is that they have there. Um, but uh, yeah, sorry. I lived there for 12 years. I can say it. Um, but we, we, we love the journey we're on, and we're, we're trying to find ways. How do we reach into our city uh, with the love of Jesus? Because we believe Jesus is so loving, that he's so kind, that he's so generous, and that he loves everybody. So we're trying to figure out how do we reach into our community in San Diego to show this love that Jesus has. And uh, one of the things we do is we do this thing called healing in the street, healing on the streets. We call it HOTS for short, because um, it's cooler. And... Um, the way it works is every Saturday morning we load up this cart that I drag a mile and a half up the hill and over into Balboa Park, one, because there's not parking, and two, um, I need the exercise, so we do that. Um, but every Saturday morning we load up this cart with chairs and the sign, and then, you know, uh, any gardeners in the room, you know the things you kneel on, those cushions? Yeah, we load them up with that, so when you kneel, and we set up these chairs in the park and the sign that says healing, and uh, we're trying, we, we're, we, we're trying to be uh, wholehearted about our faith. We're trying to be as authentic as we can. And when I read the scriptures, I see a Jesus that healed the sick everywhere he went. And he says that we should do the same. So we've decided, okay, we're gonna, we're gonna draw a line, we're gonna cross over it, and we're gonna pray for the sick. So every Saturday morning, we set up these chairs, and uh, most mornings, it's like two hours of good morning, good morning, good morning, and nobody wants to stop or... They stop, they look at our white chairs, and white was probably a bad choice because those are always the color of massage chairs. Like, notice that when you go places. We've got the sign that says healing, so people go, oh, are you doing healing massages? Um, half, half the time I'm tempted to say yes just to get them in the chair, um, but I want to live authentically so we don't. Uh, but hour after hour, people pass by, and then eventually every week we get the one or the two or the thir- three to come sit down in our chair and we start by just saying, hey, Jesus loves you, and he wants you to be better, so could we pray for you? And um, we, we lay hands and we pray, and uh, we've seen some incredible things. I think we've been at it for seven, eight weeks now, and uh, we've seen some incredible things. Uh, I can tell you the story of last week. We had a lady named Janice come sit in the chair, uh, and she, she says she has neck pain and headaches and shoulder pain and back pain. She sounds like she's really messed up, got a lot of pain going on. That's not a good thing, right? So as we talk to her... Um, we just begin to realize there's actually a lot more going on than her physical pain. Um, she had somehow landed her life in circumstances that she never thought she'd be in. Uh, she was recently divorced. Uh, she never thought she'd be divorced. She's alone. Her kids won't talk to her because of the circumstances around the divorce. And she found herself in a position where she felt like nobody saw her, that she felt kind of, I can't believe I made the mistakes I've made. I never wanted to make those. And here we are. We get to tell her that God loves her that Jesus still has a plan for his life and that there's redemption and hope still. It's pretty fun being in that place. 
But my favorite thing about healing on the streets, beyond um, the number of people we've seen healed and the people we get to speak hope and life over, is, uh, has anybody been to Balboa Park in San Diego? World's best park. Um, amen. amen. My wife's amen. Still time to move to San Diego, people. Um, my favorite thing, though, about HOTS is every Saturday morning, there's this, this El Prado Road, which has all the museums on it, and it's a pedestrian-only zone, so no cars. Uh, you have street performers and everything just set up along there. We have this guy who's painted gold, who um, pretends he's Shakespeare. I think he really might think he's Shakespeare, but he pretends he's Shakespeare. Um, but my favorite thing is we set up between Shakespeare and us, and then there's this group of atheists that are doing atheist outreach. Their whole deal is to convert people out of religion. And I love them. They have the funniest signs. One of their signs says, um, begin a personal relationship with reason. <laughs> That's a good one. <laughs> so we, we show up, and our first week, we didn't know that they were there because we, you know, we probably didn't do a good job scouting our location. So we just... <laughs> We accidentally set up in their space. <laughs> Welcome to the park. Um, so we set up in our space, and then, you know, 10, 15 minutes later, here they come around the corner, the same spot they've been for 20 years, and they just look at us, and the guy goes, I can't actually say what he said, or John would probably get me off the stage, but he goes, healing, are you kidding me? And there was some other four-letter words in there. And he goes, wait till I set up my thing, then we'll come talk. And he sets it up, and I'm like, oh, we've made a big mistake here. But over the last eight weeks, we've gotten to know these guys who, whose whole thing is getting people out of any kind of faith, getting people out of any kind of religion. And week after week, we've just been nice and kind and trying to build relationship. And this is the, the two things that they um, have said to us in the last few weeks that have, have kind of been the most remarkable things. One, we won't argue with them, right? I'm not smart enough for that. I don't have the energy for that. So we just don't argue. So if they want to come over and argue, we say, oh, I'm so sorry. We're not doing that. We're praying for people. Could we please pray for you? And they're like, I want to tell you why it's wrong. And we're like, it's okay. Uh, but eventually, <laughs> but eventually uh, we, we'll get them in conversations. And uh, Rob, who's the lead atheist, I didn't know there was one, but there is. Um, <laughs> Rob, Rob Rob has said two things to us in the last few weeks that have like have 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 feel like we're winning in the park. Uh, if the the first one is he goes, you guys are the kindest Christians I've ever met. You're the kindest Christians I've ever met. And if you know me, I'm not that nice. <laughs> like I'm really not. So there's something happening there. And the other thing is he goes, the thing that's really remarkable about you guys, I think what you're doing is a bunch of crap. Can I say crap? I said crap. Too late. Um, <laughs> He says, you know what's really remarkable is that you guys uh, are actually being consistent with what you believe. You believe that Jesus heals, so you're actually stepping out and trying to heal people. He goes, I think it's nutty, but you're doing it. But Rob's been, been surprised by consistency in our faith. He's been surprised by us saying we believe something than doing something about it. And more than anything that's winning his heart, slowly and surely, week by week, is that we're kind. He says he never has Christians be kind to him when they find out that he's an atheist. That's an indictment against us, really, isn't it? I once was like Rob, right? I, uh, I didn't grow up in the church at all. So if you're here today and that worship thing freaked you out, I'm telling you what, my first day in church, I, I was 18 years old. I'd never been to church, not for a wedding, not for a funeral, 
not for anything. And I, I walk in, uh, a friend invites me to church, right? How many of you people have invited friends to church before? Show of hands. Cool. So my friend invites me to church. And then when I park my car in the parking lot, I get a text message. Hey, bro, I'm not going to make it. <laughs> if you're inviting people to church, don't do that. <laughs> Be kind. So I get this text message. I've, I literally have never been to church. I know that's hard to believe, but nothing, not wedding, not funeral, nothing. In high school once, I tried to go to church, and my mom's like, why would you do that? Christians are the dumbest species on earth. Don't do that. So I had this ingrained in me that Christians were just dumb. Um, I had some of the same beliefs that Rob were like, that if, they don't, if you don't agree with Christians, they're just going to be rude to you, and they're going to brush you aside. I had a lot of fears and uh, kind of feelings like, am I going to be accepted here? Like, would they even care about who I am if I don't put a little money in the thing that passes by? Because I've seen The Simpsons, and I've seen them take offerings in The Simpsons. I thought every Christian was like Ned Flanders, hi ho and all that. Uh, <laughs> but I decide, I get that text message, hey, bro, I'm not going to make it. I decide I'm going to go in because I need to make a decision. Uh, it, my friend Gerald, he, he believed this stuff. He believed that book. He believed Jesus. He believed all of it. And he was so convinced of it. And he lived every moment of his life that this was true. And I realized, like, I love Ger Gerald enough that I have to go in. I have to see. If we're still going to be friends, i got to see either how crazy he is or if I can discount this thing on the whole. Because the reality is when we make decisions about our life, we're making decisions about our future, we're making decisions about our family. And I want all the information, right? So I go into church and I'm really foolish because I sit in the middle, like right where these girls are. And if you, you know, if the church service is busy, there's no getting out. I'm so sorry. You're stuck. <laughs> People came in and sat next to me. And I, before I realized I was boxed in and cornered, it was too late. <laughs> and then the worship, the music starts. And I go, how in the world... Is a th I was at a church, a big church, about a thousand people. How does a thousand people know some B-list song that I've never heard of before? <laughs> they know every word. The girl next to me is like crying. She's got her hands up. And at that point, I realized this is a cult. Like, <laughs> I've read about it. I've been warned about it. This is it. I've landed here. And uh, so I decide that the best way to survive this thing, because I can't get out, I'm cornered, and it feels like the music goes on forever. Uh, so, my wife's a worship leader, so I can say this. Um, so I decide I'm just going to look at the floor and survive this thing, right? Like, I'm just going to, I'm not going to make eye contact. I'm not going to catch whatever she's got. Um, I'm not going to make eye contact with that guy. I'm just going to stare at the floor. So I stare at the floor, and... Um, I begin to listen to the words that are being sung. And they talk about a hope, a relentless hope, an unending hope. And up to this point, my life was pretty hopeless. Um, I didn't know it was. I, I didn't have a drug addiction. I didn't have uh, mountains of debt. I didn't have uh, a whole lot of relational problems. But I found myself in this place of like, I don't know what my future is. You know, 18, 19 years old. You're doing the grind of university or college. I've been in the UK. If you say college, they think you mean high school. And if you say university, they think you mean college. So university, 
You know, I, I was like doing the grind at UC Irvine, barely keeping my head above water. I was working full time. And what is all this for? What is the point of this? And I'm hearing these songs of hope, of relentless hope. And in that moment, I knew whatever they were doing in the room was real. I knew whatever they were worshiping, whatever they were doing, and I wasn't sure what it was yet, but I knew it was real. So thankfully, the song finally ends, and I sit down in a seat, and they begin to talk about Jesus. I didn't know if I was in the right place that they talk about Jesus or whatnot. Um, but I decided that night that whatever it was was real, and all my preconceived fears and notions about it were probably wrong. That night, Jesus surprised me. Surprised me with his kindness. After the service, I went forward. I got prayed for. Um, and I, I had this weird feeling that like shame was done that day. That my life of guilt was done that day. That actually I found a place that I could belong just as I was that day. I couldn't tell you why. They didn't tell me that. I just knew it within myself that I had landed in a place that I was going to be okay. I landed in a place with a group of people that cared about my future. So that night, I uh, kind of crossed the line of faith, not very confidently, but I kind of crossed the line of faith. And ever since that day, Jesus has surprised me with his kindness. He surprised me with his generosity. But that's what Jesus is always doing, isn't it? If we are honest to kind of about our faith journey and, and kind of where we've landed in our life, it's really attributed to the kindness of God, isn't it? Isn't a lot of it a surprise? I kind of laugh at the people with the five and ten year plans, um, even though I really wish I was one. Because <laughs> ah, most of my life to this point has been a surprise. It's been a surprise of how kind Jesus is. And um, we're going to open the Bible to John chapter 4, and I want to look at uh, just a story where a woman was really surprised by the kindness of Jesus. And if you're here today um, and you're just checking this thing out, uh, I hope you feel surprised uh, by a presence, by, by, by God who loves you and is for you, who's not here to judge you or condemn you, who actually says, your shame is done today. Daughter, your shame is done today. Son, be guilt-free today. I hope you're surprised by that. Can we look at the story together? Yeah. Are we okay? I know I just talked for a really long time. Yeah. We're good. It's really not comforting when my wife's the only one that answers that. <laughs> Thank you, love. She's with me. Is anybody else? Are we okay? Okay. Come on. Here we go. It's another thing. Preach on. Another thing I love about Long Beach is people talk when you preach. When we were in Ireland, the Irish people, they just sat there on their hands and were scared to make a noise. Like if somebody sneezed during a sermon, they like would like, go home and just cry. <laughs> Orange County, they just play on their phones the whole time. San Diego, they just don't go to church yet, so we'll get there. <laughs> uh, I'm reading from my iPad, not my Bible, because somehow in the last couple weeks I've gotten really old and my eyes don't work good anymore. So John 4, verse 3. Well, we'll start at one. Now Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. Although, in fact, it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. So he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria. 
So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus tried as he, or sorry, Jesus, tired as he was from his journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon when a Samaritan woman came to the draw water. Jesus looked to her and said, will you give me a drink? Jesus was all alone because his disciples had gone into town to buy food. So a couple things that are really important about this, and I know if you've been around, this is probably not new information, but Jews and Samaritans didn't mix at all. So Jesus is already just going through Samaria is a really big deal. So Jesus is, is in Judea and he's going to Galilee. It's basically a straight line. He just needs to hike on the 30 miles or so through uh, Samaria to get to Galilee because he's leaving Judea. But what happens typically in this culture, any Jewish male or female, when they would go uh, anywhere, they would not pass through Samaria. If it was a 30-mile walk, they would take the 50-mile walk around. They wouldn't go through Samaria. And the reason they wouldn't go through Samaria is because earlier in the Old Testament, there would be all these people that would come in and rule over Jerusalem, over uh, the Israel, Israelite people and the Jewish people. And at one time, the Jewish people were scattered throughout all the world. There was this one pocket of Jews that stayed in Samaria. Uh, some were too weak to leave. A lot of women and children just wouldn't make the journey because their husband and spouse had died and had no family to help them disperse out of Jerusalem. So there was this group of people that stayed. And this group of people who later becomes the Samaritans, they, uh, they intermarried. And if you know anything about kind of the Israelite law, kind of the rules that they lived by was that you don't intermarry. You don't marry people of another faith. You don't marry people of another race. You stick with your people. So eventually the Jewish people come back together. They're reunited in, in kind of all of Jerusalem and Judea. And the Samaritans are, are kind of in this one place and they're despised. They're hated. You didn't suffer like we suffered. You stayed while we went to the ends of the earth to these other nations where they wouldn't let us worship and do anything like this. So these Samaritans were just hated. They had married other races, and that was, was, was against the law for the Israelite people. So these laws began to be, be informed that you, you don't, if you talk to a Samaritan, if you go through Samaria, you become ceremonial unclean, which meant you'd have to go to the temple to deal with your uncleanliness. So Jesus has already done something really remarkable by just showing up. But not only that, a Samaritan, a Samaritan woman comes and he asks her for a drink. Him taking that drink, him talking to her, made him unclean. Isn't that surprising? This Jesus would break the rules, the societal norms, to go and encounter this woman at the well. The boundaries that were put up by culture and society, Jesus goes through the boundaries to meet this woman. He asked her for a drink. And we know that this woman, there's something about this woman that's not great, right? She's at the, the well at noon. That's the heat of the day. You know that because you live in Long Beach and you don't have the San Diego breeze. The heat of the day is at noon. So all the women who would gather water for her household, her family, and her chores would do it in the morning. This woman was avoiding 
community. She was avoiding the people that know her. She was avoiding people. Should we find out why? Are we good? Some people are like, I've already read it. I know why. <laughs> Verse 10. Jesus answered, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, You have nothing to draw, draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? who gave us well, the well and drank from it himself, as did so his sons and his livestock. Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will never be thirsty again. Because the water I give you is the water of life. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman looked at Jesus and said to him, sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty again and have to keep coming back to draw water. See, this woman sees this man has an answer to her problem. And for her at this point, her problem is she's sick of coming to the well every day. Anybody sick of chores at home? <laughs> Laundry? Yeah. I hate taking out the trash. Cleaning up after the dogs that are in the kennel. <laughs> she sees that, that, that this man she's talking to has a, has a practical solution to a practical problem, maybe. That she might, if, if he gives her water, that she'll never be thirsty again. She won't have to come back to this well. He's got a practical problem. But then Jesus says, moves on. Sir, I, the, the woman, sir, I can see that you're a prophet. Our ancestors worshiped on this mountain. But you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Oh, sorry, I skipped ahead, didn't I? Somebody should have told me. Don't be like the Irish. <laughs> the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so I won't get thirsty, not to keep coming to the well to draw water. And he told her, Go call your husband and come back. And she replies, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You're right. When you say you have no husband, the fact is you have five husbands. And the man you now have is not your husband. What you've said is quite true. So this woman has this practical problem that she needs to go draw water every day, but she's doing it at noon because she knows if she goes in the morning, everyone in Samaria knows her story. She's had five husbands. She's on her sixth one. And he's not even her husband yet. So you can imagine every morning that woman would look out her window and watch all these women pass by going to the well knowing that if she went now at the cool of the day, she'd get the job done, but she'd in, uh, invite judgment. She'd invite pain, that she'd invite uh, insults and slurs, that she would look in other women's eyes and that they would know what she'd done. So we see that this woman's gone at the noon of the day to avoid being judged, to avoid the scorn of men and women. So she's got this practical problem that she needs water. But she's got a bigger problem. It's guilt, it's shame, it's embarrassment. Has anybody been there before? Yeah. She's got it. She, she, she lives it. It's her story. She can't shake it. She continues on. Let's get the right one this time, right? Sarah, the woman said, 
I can see that you're a prophet. Our ancestors worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that that place where we meet and must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when we will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of the worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit and his worshipers must worship in spirit and truth. I love this part. The woman said, I know that the Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he'll explain everything to us. Jesus looks in the eyes and declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. How kind of Jesus approaches the unapproachable woman at the well. How kind of Jesus to show up and surprise this woman in her day-to-day, everyday routine and say, woman, your shame doesn't matter. I see you drawing real water to drink, but I'll give you a drink that will make you never thirst again. You'll never thirst again for approval from man. You'll never thirst again from being able to engage in an acting community. You'll never thirst again for your heartache to be healed because I'm gonna give you a drink. Isn't that kind of God? Isn't that kind of Jesus? See, he just shows up and surprises us in our everyday. The thing that that I love about, back to what we do on on Saturday mornings at Hots in the Park, is these atheists uh, who who have a story of their own don't realize that Jesus is just waiting to ambush them with a surprise. He's waiting to show them his kindness. And for many of you today, Jesus wants to show up and surprise you and say, Son, daughter, I want to give you a drink. You know that thing you've been sitting on for the last month, for the last week, for the last couple days? That guilt, that shame from the thing last night? So I want to give you a drink. I want to take it away. A couple things I think we can take away from this story. One is... uh, Expect the unexpected. When you're on this journey with Jesus, or if you're not yet, expect the unexpected. He wants to show up and surprise you with his generosity and kindness. That should be a heart posture every day. Is Jesus, where are you going to be today? Where are you going to show up and surprise me today? The other one is that Jesus will cross all social norms. Jesus will cross uh, kind of those faith boundary lines. He'll cross racial lines. He'll cross social economic lines to get to those that he loves. To those that are thirsty, to those that need a drink, Jesus won't put up a boundary. So for some of you, you walk in today and there's these boundaries in your heart of, of, of people groups and places and uh, races and things that you just won't go to. And that looks nothing like your Jesus. That looks nothing like your Jesus. Allow his kindness to begin to melt those boundaries in your heart. And some of you have walked in this place today and you have these boundaries in your own heart from Jesus. It might be a belief thing. How could anybody believe something so crazy? I'm there with you sometimes. 
like some of the unbelief that creeps up in my heart, if I'm honest. We're people in process. If, you, if, you're, if you've got people in this room that aren't uh, owning up to a process, that we're in a process of becoming more like Jesus, believing more of this book and becoming more and more like him, if you don't think you have room to grow, uh, surprise. <laughs> but for those of you that come in, maybe with that boundary between you and the Lord, between you and Jesus, he wants to surprise you today. He wants to say, hey, look, I'm kinder than you think I am. I'm gentler than you think I am. I'm more generous than I think you think I am. And that there's nothing that can separate you from his love. You have to make a choice to receive it, but there's nothing that can separate you from his love today. For those of us that are living in shame today, Jesus wants to bring those walls down. He wants to give you a drink. For those that feel lost or scared, those that come in here going, where is my future? Jesus says, come and have a drink. Come and have a drink. Come and have a drink. Thank you for listening to the Garden Church Podcast. For more information about the Garden Church, visit thegardenlb.org.